Welcome to episode 157 of the GT on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is subtle analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And this was pretty dramatic news. So very suddenly this week, Tarek Amen at Rakuten announced his resignation for personal reasons or family reasons. And this is pretty abrupt. He's been an industry icon in driving disaggregated infrastructures, in particular ORAN. He was leading Rakuten's symphony as well. And so it got me thinking, is there trouble in paradise? And from my perspective, I did dig into this a little bit further. And it's clear that Symphony's revenues have been flat to declining, which indicate that they're not adding any new business. And I pointed this out as a concern, a mobile network operator taking its learnings from ORAN and then spinning a business unit out of that to help other operators. This is a very highly competitive market and environment. So uh, clearly, I'm just going to read between the lines here, but Symphony, the financial performance was probably not meeting expectation. And when you look at the broader rocket tank mobility business, it's also, also a town off. And from my perspective, this was likely Rakuten's attempt approach to reset things with, with Tarek's departure. But I spent a lot of time with Tarek. He's, he's an innovator. He had some very unconventional ideas with Symphony, providing rich functionality at no charge. But at the end of the day, you know, I've talked about this, OpenRAN is really going to be a greenfield consideration for 5G because all of the mobile network operators really locked their, their RAN plans many years ago, dating all the way back to 2017 and 2018. But what's your take on all this? I agree it was fairly sudden. I personally don't love the, the typical corporate family reasons or personal reasons thing. Like I... I get people having those things, but I feel like that's overused in a lot of scenarios. But I, if there is some family issue, I really hope that it is resolved. Um, and everything's okay. But it's been used so many times for non-family issues that I just don't really trust it as a reason anymore. And I'm more inclined to agree with most of what you've said. I really think that ORAN does have a lot of potential. And I think a lot of that potential lies in private networks. Um, and I think the problem is that private networks are taking longer to deploy than I think yeah. anyone would have liked to see. And I think that's really just a consequence of the fact that these are larger enterprises that are deploying ORAN and these things will take time to integrate. They have to go through a POC prep phase and we're coming out of that POC phase, but to get those things from POC to actual deployment is still fairly difficult and they're fairly small deployments if they're out of the POC phase. So I just think this is a slow roll thing. And when it comes to companies that are publicly listed and have quarterly earnings, that just doesn't bode well. Um, I think I'm a huge proponent of running companies privately, especially when you're in a new industry. And the burden of public shareholders not understanding how long these things will take to actually make a meaningful impact. Somehow Amazon managed to convince their investors of that fact. But most companies are unable to let investors uh, be patient because they're not. And that's really what I think this is a component of is this might be a temporary plateau, but they may still not realize the full potential for another three to five years. Because of that, I think he, he may have been prematurely removed. But 
Yeah, that's just the way things are. Yeah, you're right. A scrutiny on corporate America, especially for public companies and to deliver on earnings and profitability and that sort of thing is very intense. You've seen Dell over the years go public, private, public. And then one of the big concerns Michael Dell stated all along was guidance, providing that guidance to Wall Street because we're not financial analysts or tech analysts, but some of these financial advice by the analysts can be pretty brutal and some of them have a lot of influence and can, can affect um, stock valuations. But hey, I wish Tarek all the best. I do hope that there, there are family issues there and that he works through those. And this isn't the last that we've heard from him. He's, a, he's an icon in the industry. Guy just smooths personality and charisma. And he's a visionary. And so this is the last, I think, that we've heard from Tarek. But let's move to your first topic. This is big news. This is something that you and I have been, uh, you know, talking about behind the scenes. Dish and Echostar are finally coming together in an off-doc deal. And you want to talk about that. And I've got some, some perspective here too, but I'll let you take it away. Yeah, I'm going to keep it brief because I want to make sure the podcast doesn't run too long. But we <laughs> talked about this a month ago. Um, <laughs> you were right. It looks like this is a $6 billion company together, which is sad because their revenues are much higher than that. So the company's definitely valuation has come down quite a bit. The thing is, Echostar does have $1.7 billion of cash, which I think Gish wants to get access to. And this will be a reunification of the two arms of Cheerleader against Empire. Um, So... This is just one of those things that like was probably going to be inevitable because yeah. the Charlie Ergen owns 60% of a co-star already. And my co-star's market value was only $2 billion while Dishes was $4 billion. There is some value being lost there. But I think really what this is about, potentially making more resources available to Dish and also potentially more spectrum. I also think to a certain degree, there will be some unification of satellite and cellular down the road. So this might be a little bit of a visionary thing, but I think a lot of people are very suspicious of whether or not this will be successful considering how hard Dish has fallen in trying to deploy its 5G network and how it's struggling to main customers. I think I saw they lost another 100,000 customers. I didn't put that as a news item, but I can wind that into here. I've been hearing a lot of grumblings that things are really not good. We have been reporting constantly that lots of executive departures and they will lose the dish will lose its CEO. There's a potential. There was rumors that maybe Tarek might come in and help run the company, but I'm not sure he has the, the energy to try and run two new 5G networks one after another, but I would love to hear what your take is. So I'll be really brief. Charlie and I believe the, the Echo Star executive were on CNBC recently and it was a little awkward. They were really getting grilled. And the big question was, where are they going to find the CapEx to, you know, invest in, in making this a reality? You're spot on. One, one of the points that Charlie pointed to was in combining with Echostar, it gives them a very unique footprint combining satellite as well. And he spoke to the fact that they're the only operator that has both terrestrial and satellite coming together. But Time will tell with execution and Dish's execution has been less than stellar. And I think to the point that you made too, there's been a reshuffling of management, just like we've seen recently with Rakuten. And so there, there is some concern there. And there's concern that Charlie's had the spectrum. He's had been sitting on spectrum for years. So he's been accused of 
spectrum squatting and subject to potential fines if he doesn't deploy that spectrum. So they need to focus on the fundamentals. They need to deploy the spectrum that they have and, and maybe not focus on the satellite part of it. But man, it will be interesting to see how this all lines out. But let's move to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about Intel and Samsung. And they announced a recent VRAN collaboration. Now, both companies have been working together for quite some time in the VRAN space. Samsung is arguably a leader um, with respect to VRAN, really leaning into Samsung. The nature of the collaboration is that Samsung's going to integrate its VRAN 3.0 software with fourth generation Intel Xeon scalable processors. And what this is designed to do is improve capacity. So basically, with this combination, with the same number of servers, you'll be able to support more cell sites. And so that, that's a great thing. VRAN is, the, the advantage of VRAN is being able to virtualize that radio access network infrastructure, get more out of the physical layer of hardware and equipment out there. So this is all great. And it was a learning for me. I didn't realize that Samsung and Intel had been working with each other, dating all the way back to 2017. So I think this is a good thing. We talked just real briefly about OpenRAN with Terra. Virtual RAN is, it's not to be confused with OpenRAN, but it's another arrow in the quiver for operators that are wanting to mitigate their CapEx and improve their OpEx position. But what do you think? Yeah, Samsung and Intel do go way back. I believe Intel is also key in Samsung's core deployments. So there's obviously a relationship that already exists there. And obviously we know Samsung has their own semiconductor business as well. I really think it's just mixing and matching where Samsung has strengths and weaknesses and where they think Intel is a good application. And also a lot of people forget, but sometimes the operators have influence on how, what these network vendors use in their equipment, because ultimately a lot of what these operators are going to use is dependent on the software that they have in their network. There's a lot of influence that occurs all the way up and down the chain. I'm not surprised to hear this announcement, but it's really interesting that Intel has done a very good job of having these continued announcements down the road saying we're working with Ericsson more closely. We're working with Samsung more closely. So they're very, they're doing a good job of communicating what they're doing on 5G and working with the leaders in the industry to, to make it clear that Intel is a big player in the space and continues to. Yeah. I'm impressed with their support for telco workload with Intel. And also I'm very impressed with what Intel is doing around confidential computing and Silicon Root of Trust. And there are a lot of activities with, with extensions to support AI workloads, both models of underlying data. And we're going to see more and more of generative AI come into the mix within the telecommunications industry. And so I really like what I'm seeing with fourth generation beyond scalable processors and the support for these different verticals and use cases and applications. But let's move to your second topic. You want to talk about Qualcomm and they've hit a new speed record. Yes. So this is one of those things that will continue to happen, I think, in perpetuity. But I'll say we have a new record. I believe the previous record was seven gigabits per second on four carriers. And I think that might have even been a MediaTek record. But this is a Qualcomm record. They're doing... 7.5 gigabits per second in sub six only on a standalone network with four channels of carrier aggregation on the latest Snapdragon X75 chipset uh, using 1024 QAM, which is 
not a surprise, but pretty interesting. Obviously, 1024 Kwam, you got to be pretty close to the sell site to achieve. Um, yeah. So you're probably going to be looking at the sell site, maybe within 100 to 200 feet of it. But this would be a 300 megahertz of TD spectrum. So this is probably going to be 2.5 gigahertz if you can get it. I don't think, I don't actually think that T-Mobile has 300 megahertz, but you could probably combine 2.5 with some 3.5. But I don't think 3.5 is TD, but nevertheless, they're able to pull off as much as possible. This is their modem, their latest modem, which is 5G advanced ready. And yeah, there's nothing really much other than this was, this modem was announced in March at MWC. So it's been about five months and the modem is already breaking records, but we'll see what happens what down the road because this modem also has 10 carrier millimeter wave aggregation on average feeling that we might get some millimeter wave records probably mm-hmm. closer to maybe mwc americas in vegas even if you're standing on a cell tower holding your device and you're getting 7.5 gigabits per second in mid-band even carrier aggregated that's in, that's incredible all i can tell you is i was just at the la convention center at sigraph which there's no 5G news for that, so I'm not covering it here. But I will yeah. be writing a piece that will probably go out early next week. I was getting 1.6 gigabits per second on T-Mobile, no millimeter wave, inside the convention center with thousands of people. That's crazy. I was just like mind-boggled because I wasn't actually getting that much on Verizon with ultra-wideband. problem with Verizon is I wasn't able to, I didn't have time to check if I was on millimeter wave or not. I was actually getting faster speeds on T-Mobile than I was on Verizon. Crazy. That's crazy. I love what Qualcomm is doing really to drive the performance envelope here and just in general with things like OpenMail. Sort of T-Mobile's thing. network does for carry aggregation, so. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Very impressive. Let's hit my third and final topic, and this is pretty late-breaking news. Cisco continues to be on a buying spree. Boy, they've Chuck Robbins has a big fat checkbook there. But they've purchased a mobile core vendor, WD2, for $150 million, and so... WG2 is a working group too. This is Talonor's Benal at a company that a business unit that they started all the way back in 2017. And so Cisco obviously is very focused on service provider. And it's basically a cloud native mobile core. And what Cisco plans to do is, you know, leverage um, its capabilities to deliver a programmable mobile core as a service to its customers. And this fits really well with Cisco's overall strategy. They already offer Converge Core and they offer a private 5G as a service offering with various RAN vendors pick your flavor. And so I think $150 million to Cisco's drop in the bucket, right? And this really strengthens what they're doing. And really the value here from a network provider standpoint is having that mobile core. That's one of the reasons why HPE acquired Athenet, so that they could be competitive with the likes of the Cisco's. And certainly HPE, they continue to lean heavily into GreenLake, their IT consumption services model, and, and offer not only networking as a service, eventually they're going to have a pretty compelling 5G as a service solution. I don't know if you caught this news again at late breaking, but any thoughts before we move to your third and final? I did see the news, but I don't really have that much knowledge about WG2, yeah. I'm glad you picked it up because it was pretty late breaking. But yeah, I mean, I think Cisco has very made it clear where they're trying to build their strengths. 
And this does seem like something that would be very complementary to what their current businesses are. But to your point, they have been on an acquisition spree. And um, this isn't a necessarily particularly big one uh, right. as far as Cisco goes. But I do think it's a probably a very good one in terms of just product fit. Yeah. And I'll just finally mention that Cisco has recently announced a mobility services platform, something that I'm planning to dig into with some upcoming briefings with Cisco. I may, I may come back on a future podcast and talk about that. But so let's move to your third and final topic. And you want to talk about the FBS and their completion of clearing the two-band spectrum. Yeah. So SES is one of the world's leading satellite communications providers. And they are one of the companies, I think Immersat was the other one, that were utilizing a spectrum in the U.S. that needed to be cleared for C-band. And there was a early clearing incentive given to them if they were to clear their spectrum by December 2023, which is also the time when the B and C blocks of C-band are to be made available to the operators um, and the bidders who won. So this is the second phase where the first phase occurred in 2021, where we saw that first deployment of Spectrum. And now we're seeing the second phase occurring. They were able to pack their Spectrum more tightly and launch some satellites to enable that Spectrum use. So they're repacking. So they launched five new satellites. Uh, they repacked all their C-band downlink at the 200, upper 200 megahertz of the C-band, which is what we were we knew about. And then they, all the necessary equipment changes associated with incumbent earth stations and gateways across the planet into the 3,700 3, to 4 gigahertz band, which are not being used for satellite communications. And above that is where the, uh, the feared FAA uh, interference situation was. Yeah, so it looks like they will get their $3 billion incentive payment. And yeah, it, it'll be paid probably in the fourth quarter of this year. And hopefully T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon we will utilize that spectrum very soon thereafter. I don't know if Immersat has uh, necessarily cleared their spectrum yet, but they say they will be ready by the December deadline as well. So it's good news for more spectrum, and we will see what maybe those higher bands have more chances of interfering with altimeters and things like that. But hopefully that situation has been resolved already, and, and whatever aircraft are not Compliant will just not fly until they are. But yeah, it's just an update on the spectrum situation. And I think something that will improve the 5G experience for users down the road and will hopefully allow for a more robust 5G experience in total as we move closer and closer to standalone. You know, there's always that gold room for that prize Goldilocks mid-band spectrum, the great balance of propagation and performance. But good stuff, buddy. Hey, it's been another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Town Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week, and don't forget to rate us and subscribe.